postponed, postponed. No, we don't postpone the podcast because I'm just sitting here by myself in my house. Nobody's going to catch anything. But holy crap, stuff is really happening. This is real. I feel bad for those people who have been canceled completely. And a little bad for those who are postponed. And frankly, I've got something coming up on June 10th that I hope doesn't get postponed because I've been looking forward to it for a long time. But my sympathies to those who have been canceled and those who have been postponed. Yeah, it's been a rough time for theater in Buffalo recently. A lot of things are postponed. A lot of things are canceled. But don't you worry. Little Women Now is still going on at Road Less Traveled Productions. And hey, listen, all of this means is that the theaters are just trying to keep you safe. They're testing everyone all the time. They're testing to make sure that the cast doesn't spread it around. And they're testing to make sure that you people in the audience don't catch anything. That's just the way it is. Welcome to Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano. This week, we're going to take your mind off of all of the COVID baloney with a delightful conversation with one of Buffalo's great funny men and a very talented guy, Mike Randall. And yes, I know, if you still get the Buffalo News, and you should still get the Buffalo News, even if you only pay for the online version, pay for it because it's our only newspaper in town. You don't want them to go under. Anyway, Mike Randall was there yesterday on the front page of the Gusto with a story about his 50-year anniversary of Mark Twain. But here, he's going to be telling you in his own words... Mike Randall, who I have known for so many years and who has been at Channel 7, uh, first as a feature reporter and then as the weatherman and then as another feature reporter again. He's just doing feature stuff now. Mike Randall's going to be here to tell us all about it. And, and don't forget, if you don't have your tickets yet, for Mike Randall's Mark Twain at the Riviera Theater on the 14th of May, ladies and gentlemen, you want to get those tickets as quickly as possible because it's great and a really fun time. And they're only 15 bucks a piece. And it's his 50-year anniversary. Mike Randall doing Mark Twain, which I've seen him do twice now, many, many years ago. I haven't seen the, la- the latest one, but I will be there to see Mike Randall do Mark Twain live. So get your tickets for that. And without further ado, let's introduce Mike Randall here on... Our LTP's Off-Road. Welcome, Michael Randall. How are you? Good. Good you, to see you. You, know, you look good. To... Did you work out today? I... <laughs> okay. I, you know, I edit this, so I'll cut all of that stuff out. <laughs> Don't cut the funny stuff out. <laughs> cut the boring stuff out. Uh, well, then well, then we down, we'd be down to like two minutes. Don't... Hey, listen. I was trying to figure out the other day when I first met you. Do you remember when I first met you? I don't know when I first met you, but I remember seeing you in a dinner theater show somewhere. <laughs> no, it was before that. No. He, oh, let me tell no, you. No, this was a long time ago. Didn't you do a dinner theater I, oh, play? I did a lot. I've done it. No, but a I mean a long time ago, yes. like maybe in the 70s. Yes. That's where I first saw you. Be, was it before you came to Lakeshore High School to show do oh, a yeah. makeup demonstration? Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Because... I'm trying to think where it was. Anyway, we're not here to talk about me. But then I came to your school. You did. 
And, and I'm thinking about it now, I thought... And, and what year was that now, Peter? I don't that, remember that. That had to have been in the late <laughs> 70s or early 80s. I, well, I we were just children then. We were. But I see, I thought you were like this older guy, because even then you, had, you were doing the Mark Twain stuff, because I was just enamored of the way you had done all of the, the makeup, because looking back on it, now you were in your 20s. And now I don't need any makeup. I just, <laughs> I just stick that wig on my head and I walk out And you're there. done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's it. <laughs> well, with the mustache and everything. So let's, let, let's talk about the whole thing. I want to talk about the way back in the beginning when you first start, because you've been at Channel 7, although do we even call it Channel 7 anymore? Because it's on my TV, it's 507, but on other TVs, it's... You know, but it's at WKBW. I will always call it Channel 7. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, and you're the longest tenured guy there now, right? 39 years? Yeah. I started in August of 1983. Yeah. yeah. And it was, I mean, I grew up in Buffalo, so I watched Irv and Rick and, <laughs> and Tom. Tom. Yep. And it was like, for me, it was like being in Hollywood. To, to be around these guys, I had met them before. I actually waited, uh, when I was a waiter, I waited on... Rick Azar, uh, Tom oh. Joles had brought me in when I was that 19-year-old kid doing Mark Twain at the showboat. He called me up and he said, we have this little show called Sunday Surprise. Would you come in and do that? And I was like, Tom Joles called me. Oh, my God. It was so <laughs> cool. Tom and I came me. in there and I'm like throwing up because back then I had to put on three hours of makeup. And I'm putting uh. on the makeup and Tom keeps coming in the dressing room and checking them. Are you doing okay? Yeah, I'm doing fine. <laughs> and I'm thinking, where's he hide the puppets? I want to see the puppets. And, and promo. Uh, and promo and and there's no audience he said uh it's just you doing mark twain and i said it's comedy i need people to laugh if there's no one laughing i said can i can i call my girlfriend and maybe have her bring some people like, yeah yeah that's fine so we ended up with about 50 people in the studio oh, and cool. did the show and i did a half hour for him and uh, i had actually called irv one time i remember when irv had the theater downtown and i was sure. trying to get him to uh to book me in the uh in the theater, but they were doing the old classics. Oh, you yeah, know. they were doing a lot they were doing of heavy serious. stuff there. He and Brian Weiss and yes. uh, Joe Weiss, it's mm -hmm. called The Playhouse on yeah. Main Street, right? It's right now, I think it's the it's a, it's the Shays Ticket Office or or close to it, maybe yeah. the bistro right next door. And I don't know how long that lasted, but he was very nice, but he just said, well, we're not doing that kind of stuff. But to be working with those guys... Was, in that era. Was that your connection? That, that no, time? I had no connection at all. I came to Buffalo. I'd worked in Roanoke doing a show called PM Magazine. Mm -hmm. I did that for a year and a half. I left Roanoke. <laughs> I met the girl I love the first day I started working in Roanoke and married her. Uh, and then we moved to Hartford. I was hoping that was the end of the <laughs> and story. And then I married and her. Then I mar no, and then yeah. I met my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and then I married her. And then we moved to Hartford, and we worked there for a year. We hated our jobs. I was doing PM Magazine in Hartford. We hated the situation. <laughs> I auditioned. Oh, we quit our jobs. We had nothing lined up, which was only something you do when you're in your 20s. Yeah. Uh, neither one of us had a job lined up. And I said, I just want to go home. I either want to go to Buffalo or my wife is from Cincinnati. So we started looking around and I was only out of, I wasn't even out of work really. I uh, had to finish up at my other job and I came to Buffalo and I auditioned for the Channel 7 thing and finally got it. They and were the, looking for a feature reporter. They were. And this was right after Don Pollock had left. Yeah. Because he had done all these crazy stories there and then another crazy guy shows up. Yeah. But, but had they, how did you know even about the audition? How did? I, my mother would send me newspaper clippings all the time. That was another reason I wanted to come to Buffalo. My mm -hmm. parents were here. My brothers and sisters were all here. My family was here. 
and I'm on TV and nobody can see me. I'm like, but it's really great. I'm a big TV star in Roanoke and I want to go, you know. And uh, my parents would come and visit me. So th- my mom sent me this article that said, uh, the news director said, if I find the person who can replace Don Pollock, I'll make him rich. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm, f- I'm on for that. I'm ready to be uh, rich, sure. And, but the news director at that time, this was when I was, because I, I didn't start until six months after Pollock left. So the news director uh, was a different news director. And I sent a tape, and he's like, oh, you, we'll pay you, uh, I don't know, it was like 20000 a year or something like that. Mm-hmm. I go, how do you have to take Which, a cut and pay? I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Plus, Pollock was making really good money. I go, you, you know. So uh, he said, well, we can't afford, you know, whatever. So then it was six months later with a new news director, and I got him to look at my tape. He brought me in for an audition. I was there all day. I went out and I shot a piece. And my piece, my uh, audition piece was how to apply for a job at Channel 7. So I worked in, (laughs) you know, uh, impressions, uh, juggling, uh, silliness, you know, all that stuff. And based on that, I got the job. So where are you from originally? Buffalo. I mean, mean the city or? or Uh, No, I grew up. Well, we didn't call it Town of Tonawanda then. We called it Kenmore 17. (laughs) (laughs) And then later when my parents were still living there, they're like, we got to go to the town of Tonawanda. I go, where is that? They're like, that's where we are. I said, wait a minute. This used to be Kenmore when I lived here, <laughs> right right behind Mount St. Mary's. Oh, oh yeah, sure, sure. And uh, so I grew up there. I went to Kenmore West. And uh, Jerry Starr was my drama teacher. You must have known Ron Swick then. Yes, I knew uh, Ron. He was my uh, chorus teacher. And I knew Jerry Starr, he was my drama teacher. Mm-hmm. And years later in the 80s, when I was working at Channel 7, they wanted to do one of these uh, Kenton teacher productions. Yes. I said, we'll do the Sunshine Boys. You guys play the Sunshine Boys. I'll direct Perfect. you. And I didn't have an old nurse. I had a young, one of the teachers was playing the young nurse. And I'm like, oh my God, I got to get a young, I got to get somebody to do this old nurse. And it's only like a page or mm-hmm. two of dialogue. I called Mary Kate O'Connell. She did it. She put it together in like three days, and she showed up and did and did it. I don't know if that was her first introduction to uh, Ron Swick, but Ron and Jerry were great. But it was like all this rehearsal for two shows, two performances. You know, the first thing I ever saw Ron Swick in and Brian Latulip. I was in high school. Ron Swick, as you know, was a was a brilliant actor. Brilliant. He had been in so many productions, yes. and we never knew that. We were just dumb kids in high school. We didn't know what a great actor he was. He was doing Death of a Salesman mm-hmm. with Brian LaTulip, and they were doing it at that uh, little theater in East Aurora, Aurora which was like a barn at that time because yep. it was all wide open. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, let's go see. We were blown away. We're like, oh, my God, he's so good. Yeah. Yeah. One time, the uh, Fiddler on the Roof guy died out at Art Park. Yes. And they called Ron Swick. He called, and Ron did the part. <laughs> Ron did he, it. He had done the part the year before at East Aurora. Yes. He came on the next day in, with a book. So you knew him in high school. Did you get interested in theater in high school? Yeah, I was in the I was in the shows. When I was in seventh grade, there was this time when I thought I wanted to be an athlete, and I went and I tried out for the track team, and I got on the track team, and the first day of track, they said, we want you to run around the football field for <laughs> half an hour. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, we want you to run around the football field for half an hour. I'm like, oh, God, I don't want to do that. So I auditioned for the play. At Kenmore West? At, no, this was at Hoover oh. in junior high school, oh. which they still called it junior high school then. And it was the littlest angel. Hmm. It was a non-speaker. There was, there was a narrator, and you just 
at, you know, mimed everything out. And it was with Nels Anderson. Do you remember? You know who I, Nels? I, I know the name, but I Nels know. Anderson from Anderson Ice Cream. Yes. His whole family owned the ice cream place. And Nels was the littlest angel, and I was the gatekeeper. <laughs> And uh, I think. thought you were going to say I was the third donkey from the left. <laughs> I, I could have done that part. I know you could. I could play a donkey. No, I have pr- I'm proud of you. Um, so yeah, that was that was it. It was like I'm going to be a I want to be a sports guy. You know, like my brother was into one of my brothers was into football and everything. And I just thought like, nah, I don't want to run around the football field. And the play practice stuff was great because my mother would always be like, Mike said play practice. You know, and I so I did shows in in uh, junior high school. Then I got to high school, tried out for the musicals. I did the summer musicals. I couldn't sing one summer. uh, I wanted the lead in how to succeed in business. And I ended up getting like some weird part. And it was okay because I had to take geometry over again. And I was taking driver ed. So it didn't really matter. (laughs) But I was not a great student, Peter. But But I had a lot of fun. Of course. And that's where all the girls were too. That's where they were. Because I don't know about your high school, but ours was like 99% girls. And then you had to beg two boys to come out to play the the male roles because they, (laughs) you know. So then did you get the bug for theater? And then did you go to college for theater? No. What happened was. I know you went to a bunch of different colleges, but did you, was your focus on theater or what? I like to try out a few colleges, (laughs) if you know what I mean. I wanted to go, I wanted to go into theater. My parents were dead set against that. My parents were old school, you know. They would be in their hundreds right now if they were still with us. Both born in, uh. 1917, and I never heard a single word about a pandemic from 1917. Not a single word. Not a word about it. Ever. Could it have been because it they could were have been too a, young and they just... It could have parents, been a huge discussion. Could have been. You know, you were born during a pandemic. And if you look at pictures, people were wearing masks yeah. and things were closed and everything. Anyway, they were sort of against it. And I was just a dopey kid. I was one of those kids that graduated from high school. Going into college, I was 17, so I wasn't going to have my birthday. My birthday was in November. I wasn't going to be 18. In fact, we were going to burn our draft cards at Rosary Hill. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, great. What is that? <laughs> and they're like, they're draft cards. You got a draft card? I go, no, I don't. Not yet. You're supposed to have a draft card. I don't have one. They said, we'll make a photocopy of ours so you can burn one. Because <laughs> I didn't have one yet. <laughs> I, yeah, I went to Rosary Hill. And uh, so second semester, Roz Kramer was yep. the head of the department. Yep. And she goes, I know you were a big star. I can't do her voice. But she goes, I know you were a big star at high school, but this is different. This is college. So we did uh, School for Scandal or whatever, and we had to do all the lessons on how to walk like Renaissance and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a bunch of nonsense. But it, it, was, a, you know, it was a fun show. And it was somebody's senior project. And we're like, I really want to do this. It was the same time I had seen my friend uh marshall goldman do a little mark twain thing i'm like oh my god i would love to do that i would love to put all that stuff on my face and go tell you know 100 year old jokes and get a laugh and get a laugh uh he did a couple of pieces for the junior show so that first year i was at rosary hill i started listening to hal holbrook lessons uh, records reading the mark twain books trying to put some stuff together and at a certain point they said why don't you do a show and we'll raise money so we can build a radio station Mm -hmm. at Rosary Hill. I'm like, yeah. But then I realized (laughs) I had to do all the work because I had to learn all that material and put together a show. I actually did a couple of little shows. I did like a land, Florida land banquet show, like Mm -hmm. 10-minute Mark Twain for $10. (laughs) And I did a talent show. 
I did, what was the pizza place? Ruby Reds on Sheridan Drive. Oh, or on, uh, on uh, Niagara Falls Niagara Boulevard. Falls Boulevard near I Sheridan. showed up as Mark Twain there. So I had a couple of little shows under my belt. But then when I did this show at Rosary Hill, it was at Wick Center. Tickets were $2. I still have the program. May 14th, 1972. I was 18 years old. Marianne, Marianne Loricella did a big spread on me for the Buffalo News. Mm-hmm. This 18-year-old guy's going to get up there and do Mark Twain. And I was, I can't even tell you how terrified I was because I realized my parents are going to be there, all my friends, theater people, blah, 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 you know. I was like, ah. But uh, I got through it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, people started asking me to do, like, could you come to our school? And somebody had me come to um, Springville Griffith Institute. And I was doing the show for free. It didn't occur to me I was going to make any money on it. And after and these I, were all fundraisers? People were asking to do, to no, do this, fundraisers? I think the school or just wanted the show. They wanted the show to fit in with their literature. So. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I, I did a, you know, it was like a little 45-minute show. And after the show, my, my friend Harry came with me from high school. And uh, after the show, the principal came down and he handed me a $25 check and said, here, buy yourself a few beers or some more makeup. Mm-hmm. And I looked at Harry, and Harry looked at me, and we're like, ching, 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 ching. <laughs> I had no, it never occurred to me that I could make money doing a show like that. So then I think I sort of put it aside for a little while, and then I went to OCC in Syracuse because I was going to do radio. I figured I'll do radio because i uh, you know, be a disc jockey. That's Onondaga. Onondaga Community College. Hated it. I was on the radio station. Oh, you're great. You're like Joey Reynolds. You're so funny. And uh, I hated it. There was no audience. There was nothing. Yes, you're, yes. Sitting in a, you're sitting in here do, telling jokes and playing music. And it was just boring. I thought it was boring. And I thought I wanted to be Danny Nevereth or, you know, Sandy Beach. Those guys are great. I oh, grew they up listening were. In those days, them. I mean, I had the same ambition. They were so quick-witted and they looked like they were, it sounded like they were having fun all the time. They right. got the latest music and they did the sock hops <laughs> and everything. And you're thinking, this is the way to go. They're huge. Yeah. They were yeah. stars. I mean, it was like the Irv, Rick, and Tom thing. They were <laughs> bigger stars than you'll ever see again in oh. broadcasting in Buffalo, just because there's so much now. Yes, yes. So from on Daga, you, you, you. I went to OCC for a year, yeah. hated it. <laughs> that summer, and I was still only like 19 at that point, I'm laying on the couch. I was working at my, for my friend Harry. He was managing a McDonald's. So I was working for Harry. He was managing the McDonald's on Hurdle Avenue. Right. And I was there three nights, and I was working overnight, so all the drunks were coming in. <laughs> and I hated that. And I'm laying on the couch like a 19-year-old watching TV, and my dad goes, why don't you take your Mark Twain stuff down to the Buffalo Showboat and see if they want to hire you to Mark Twain? I go, they, they never want to do that. You know, like the typical teenager. Sure. Dad, you're full of it. You're full, yeah. They never want to do that. Dad couldn't possibly have a good idea. And my dad goes, if you don't take your stuff down there, I'm going to take Because I had pictures and I had a recording. I'm going to take it down there. I'm like, oh, God. So I called up, talked to John Samasi. John Samasi, you know John. Oh, absolutely. He's like, well, we could dress you up and you could walk around as Mark Twain. I go, no, see, it's a show. And he goes, well, let's try the walk around thing first. So I went there and I walked around one night, which was totally stupid. He goes, you know, you're right. It should be a show. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. So they gave me the dining room. Yeah. And uh, I think it started on Wednesday nights. And Tommy Dudzik was there at the mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. So Tommy and I would spend all day long doing all the publicity for the show. He made the program. Oh. We'd try to trick them into letting us eat lunch off the menu. That was a big thing. And then uh, and then we finally did the show, got great reviews. Doug Smith loved the show. 
were they doing it simultaneously while they were doing yeah. a Friday and Saturday night dinner show? Yes. A, a different yes. play. It was like Las would, Vegas. You would fill in the other nights. I was in the dining room on uh, eventually on Wednesday and Thursday mm-hmm. doing the dinner theater show. It was called Dinner Cruise with Mark Twain, even though the boat didn't go anywhere. Uh, <laughs> Tommy was upstairs doing Make Your Moves with Confidence. Yep. And then they had music in the lounge. They had Velby down in the basement. John Velby, yeah. Uh, that's how I know all those guys going back to those days. And eventually, uh, we just kept it going. Then we moved it upstairs. At one point there, Peter, and this is no lie, I was making $80 a week and we I was working seven nights a week. We were doing, I was doing Make Your Moves with Confidence, Mark Twain two nights, and we started doing Play It Again, Sam. Dudzik was Woody Allen Woody, and I yeah. was Humphrey Bogart. And... Uh, I was making $80 a week. My dad goes, the dishwasher's probably making more money than you. I said, Dad, I'm, I'm having fun. It's great. You know, he goes, if you don't ask him for a raise, I'm going to go ask him for a raise. So I go to John. I go, John, my dad thinks I should have a raise. Hmm. I'll put you on the tip share. So he put me on the tip share in the dining room with the waiters. Oh. So then the waiters hated me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but so... You know, that's how that was sort of like the birth of the Mellican mime thing. His foray into dinner theater, I mean, Neil had done it, Neil right. Redis had done it, and other people had done it, like you said, at the top of the of one at MT Plaza. But John's story about Mellican mime and those guys, it, it was. Well, there wasn't a lot of other theater. I mean, I, again, I no, don't remember wasn't. specifically, but uh, I think it was 74, 75 when I was there. Uh, Studio Arena was here. Mm hmm. Uh, Shays was not reopened nope, yet because nope. I remember going to the reopening. There was of only that. that dinner theater and community theater. But we got reviewed. Every show that we did, we got reviewed. Yeah, oh, we got reviewed in community theater as well. And we had two newspapers, so we always right. got, you know, right. a lot of reviews. And there were even there was even a time when they when they did two reviews. They would send out two two reviewers from the Buffalo News. Now we're down to Augusto that's like eighteen pages long. I know. And and it's it was up to forty four pages at one time, but now it's And Doug right, Smith was was incredible god rest his soul he was such a great guy and he's such a supporter of anything that tom and and john did out there and i dragged uh michael galani will deny this michael galani i knew was doing a lot of community theater i don't know what his real day job was but i was the one that called him up and said hey we need a guy to play dick Mm. (laughs) and play it against sam and he came to work for them, and he was with them for years oh, after yeah. that. Directed a lot of shows, and he's back on stage he's now. He's back on stage, yeah. and he's directing <clears throat> next year at the Kavanoki. He should be. He's, I mean, he, Michael was he, great. Whatever his, whatever his job was, I think it finally, he finally retired from it, and he just stepped right back into this. He's back on stage, but he came in to uh, do dinner theater. I mean, it was funny. It was like, my mom will make the costumes. We can you know, sell tickets. And people came and watched the shows and loved them. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's that old, dad's got a barn. Let's put on a show. Yeah. So not to change off the subject, because I want to get back to Mark Twain shortly, but mm-hmm. we're, you're doing the feature stuff at, at WKBW. Yes. And so it did, did from there, did you say... I want to get into meteorology? No. Oh, gosh. That was, that was How a, did that a weird story. Because Tom, for years, I, had, I started in 83. I was a feature, strictly a feature reporter mm-hmm. for six years. And I'm following a guy who was a genius who had three minutes to do a story, yeah. sometimes only two and a half. And they're cutting me back and cutting me back. And everything's getting shorter. When I first started working there, Tom could do four minutes on the weather. Yeah, and then yeah. there, as a weatherman, I never had four minutes. No. So everything got shorter. So Tom is constantly like, you know, you really should get into weather. 
And one time, Danny Neverth, who was doing the noon weather, he went on vacation. And I had to fill in for him. I'm like, I have no idea what to do. Don't worry about it. Danny just shows funny videos. Remember Danny used to show <laughs> funny I, video yes, at noon? I, do. <laughs> I go, yes, okay. So that was fine. Now, cut to, it's 1989. A certain person by the name of Lori Lasowski is doing weekend weather. But she's like getting ready to quit because they had promised her that she'd be a full-time reporter. Uh-huh. She didn't want to do the weather. And they didn't follow through on that. And I think the news director who made that promise is long gone now too. So I just said to Lori, I go, don't quit if I'm here. Like only quit if I'm on vacation. Uh-huh. And she didn't. She quit while I was not on vacation because I knew if she quit, they were going to drag me out Throw and make you me right do it. Into it yep. I knew nothing about weather. My worst subjects were science and geography, and that's all weather is. <laughs> I'm like, I can't. Oh, you'll be fine. Here, read this book. So now. <laughs> read this book. I'm like, all summer long, this is like for three months in the summer, I'm doing the weather. And I'm starting to tell my wife, I go, you know, I kind of like this. It's kind of fun. And Linda Pellegrino at that time had started taking this meteorology course through Mississippi State. And it was a course that was designed for the Navy that they really had polished and then realized that there were a lot of people in our position, people that got shoved into doing weather, didn't know anything about it. And hey, here's a 30 credit hour course. You take these courses at home, you take your exams at the National Weather Service, Mm -hmm. and you'll get a certificate. So... That's what happened. I went through that from the time I started taking the course until the time I got my second seal, which was the AMS seal, American American Meteorological Meteorological, Society seal, was 15 years. Because I was doing a puppet show out at the Wildlife (laughs) Festival, and my wife calls (laughs) and goes, how does it feel to be an AMS weatherman? I'm like, oh, finally. I'm like, oh, I'm ready to retire now. And and what does that mean exactly? I mean, Uh, obviously it means you're certified in some way, but what does that mean? It's like a test. It's like, But is it a feather in your cap? Is it it a salary bump? Is it something that they can brag on TV that we have the only... Nothing's a salary bump in television. (laughs) No, it. yeah, I think there was this push at that time because here's what happened i got in it was only a two and a half year course right so i dropped out halfway through because we were doing rocket ship seven in 1991 when you revived it and i was up at like late thursday night i had two little kids at home i'm only getting four hours of sleep night anyway because i'm up for the morning show i was doing the morning show then and so i dropped out my wife's like Only as a wife could do. You'll be sorry, because when Tom retires, they're going to want a meteorologist. I'm like, she's probably right. right. So I got back into it (laughs) and finished it up. And then I had to take two other courses before I could even apply for the SEALs. But the SEAL essentially is you send a tape in of you doing your forecast three days in a row, three days in a row, Mm -hmm. consecutive days in a row. And they grade it on everything, on your graphics. If you're a weatherman, the graphics are like, you know, even though Tom had like a board that he could write on. Right. And at and, and, and a time, magnetized sun and a magnetized cloud. Oh, God, thing. if I only lived at that time, it would be so much better. Yeah, so soon. And, uh, but they grade you. And to be honest, Andy Parker's the one who told me, he goes, don't, you know, the AMS, he said, uh, a lot of time, it's like trying to get your bar exam. A lot of times people fail the first time first out. time around. I'm yeah. like, oh, God. So, good. I had already gotten my NWA seal. That was a separate, that was a different seal. That was the first one I went for. And I flunked that one the first time, <laughs> got it the second time. So, I'm knowing, I'm like, I'm, I know I'm going to flunk this the first time. I didn't flunk. 
I got in. I'm like, I can't believe they let me in. So then I got a seal and they put it on the air. That's it. You don't get more money. You don't do your weather any differently. But there's uh, a certain you know, amount of prestige and yeah. there's something that they can advertise that, you you know, right. here's a guy. And I think you were the only one in town with that, with that certification, Well, I was the right? only, no, because Don Paul had it and uh, Mike Psyche had it. I, I think I was the only one at one time that had both seals. Ah, okay. And now I don't have either because I, I basically what, have backed away. Yeah, they do. If you don't because pay them every change. year. I Actually, I retired the NWA and I just stopped paying the AMS because I stopped doing the weather. I, I want to say six, six, seven years ago, I got off the morning show. I was just doing fill-in stuff and started doing more features. And then for this last contract that is up next year in August, I'm just working three days a week doing features. And I told him, I said, I can't, I, you know, that weather box that you sit down in front of, that's the hardest part of doing weather. Mm -hmm. And you literally, if you are gonna learn how to do that, you have to sit there and be trained for a week. And when you're away from it for a year, trying to sit down and do the weather is just Insane. All the electronics of it, all of the computers, it's just computerized a, stuff. You know, it's it's all graphics. It's a, you know, yeah. you've got to pull this up from here. You pull this up from here. Pull the, and then you've got to put it together in a show. That's a, that's and stand in front of a green yeah. screen. I said I can get out there and blab for five minutes yes. about stuff, but but the other the graphics. Stuff, yeah, the technology you got to keep up. You, you use it or lose it, basically. Basically, yeah. 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 I could do it. You know, if I went in there for a couple of days, I could probably do it if it was an emergency, but. But I'd rather not. So did <laughs> because let me tell you this: weather is either very stressful or very boring. If it's nice for a week stretch, yeah, it's boring. And don't you wonder what those guys down in Arizona do? What 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 the hell? I the, what, met what is those the guy? guys. I what do they do? Play golf a lot. I mean, they you come. They, they, I, my brother lives there, and I, I, you wake up every morning. It looks the same out in it's L.A. The same it, with L.A. as well. They talk more about the smog than the weather. Yeah, yeah. So, do you do you have like an assignment editor that tells you what features to do, or do you think of things, or do people approach you? We had a we have an assignment editor. I th I think I've just been there so long that they just kind of let me do my thing. Within reason. I mean, I let them know every week. I My four days off, I'm usually trying to set up stories because you know you can do stuff on your phone now. You yeah, don't have oh, to yeah. be at a computer. You can uh, track people down through Facebook and say, hey, I'm interested in this. Would you be willing to do that? So I set up, you know, usually three stories for the week ahead mm -hmm. and schedule them and all that. And then Monday, or my Monday is Tuesday. Today's my Monday. <laughs> Isn't that confusing? I send them a little I note don't even in the know morning. What day it really is. So. <laughs> <laughs> I send them a note, and they're like, "Okay." Now, if something happens that's more interesting or something that they really want covered, they'll let me know. Okay. And I can set aside something I'm doing, or you know, I mean, I'm not above shooting two or three stories in a day. I can do that. Do you promise them a certain number of features per week? No, it's not a promise. It's just I'm working this day. You'll get a story. I'm working, you know, I work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, so I do stories Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Okay, all right. They can air them whenever they want. Right. Generally, they'll air them that day. Most often, I shoot something in the morning, and it's on the air that night. Mm -hmm. So there's nobody saying, okay, well, you're working three days a week. I think you said three now, right? Doing, right. So you always three stories a week. Basically, that's just a, a given. Right. It's an understood thing. Right. Okay. Right. And you're old, and we won't make you work any harder than that. But, no, and you I do would, all your own writing, of course, I was and your gonna, own camera work, I guess. Now, yeah, that's the that was the hard part, the learning curve. I 
back in the day when I had a photographer, when I first started, yeah. I edited my own stuff. And Lee Capola, who uh, went on to be you know, the head of the communications department down the, at Bonaventure, Bonaventure. Yeah. he was a new TV reporter at Channel 7. He uh -huh. went from the newspaper, and he stuck his head in the booth one day. He goes, I told you, don't learn how to edit. <laughs> They're going to want you to edit everything. They never did. But editing a tape was a totally different thing. Editing on a computer now is just like oh, child's yeah. play. Yeah, oh, dude, tape with the, I mean, you literally were cutting things with a, with a, a razor blade. It was a lot easier though when I had a photographer. Now uh, there's two parts of your brain. The one part is is wanting to be the reporter who's you know shaking hands and getting names and making sure you're getting all the shot. You know, hey, go shoot this. Hey, uh, would you shoot that for me? Oh, thank. I think I need a close up of. The, you know, you're telling the photographer yes. what you want. Now you got to do all that and remember In all that. Plus, you got to interview the people, and it's just you know, it's just a, a little bit of a learning curve. They handed me the camera. <laughs> I think the first day I had the camera, I said, I, I thought you said this was easy. The one side of the cameras just have buttons all over it. I'm like, I don't know what all these buttons are. And so you'll figure it out. So invariably, when I was out early on, when I first started shooting my own stuff, I don't know, like 2014, I guess it was, they said, I, I, I would hit a button and I'd like, I, you know, it would go black or there'd be what like- What did I do? Yeah, what did I do? I have to call the station. I'd go, wait, wait a minute, let's see if we could figure this out. And uh, yeah, then they. And there's nothing they harder than trying to figure out technology over the phone. It reminds me of trying to explain to my mother how the VCR works. <laughs> Remember those days? Yeah. But why is it flashing? Well, Mom, it, it, don't worry about the flashing. It's, it, it, I ended up putting black tape over the thing so she couldn't see the thing. Oh, Ed Riley's son put a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in the VCR, <laughs> which I thought like, oh my God, please don't ever tell that to my kids. Don't ever let my kids hear that one. How many kids do you have? I have three boys. And, and what uh, are they doing? That was a lot of fun. They're mostly <laughs> musicians, which everybody goes, are you musical? I'm like, mm, not really. My wife used to play a lot of music, though. So my oldest, Nick, uh, ended up as a guitar player. Got a guitar in his okay. hands when he was nine years old and never let it go. He, he's got a day job, but he also uh, still teaches guitar, and he's in a couple of bands. Uh, my son, Ben, my middle one, plays bass. He has a day job as well. And then my youngest is a guitarist, and wow. he's got a day job, and he plays music. And they're all in Buffalo, and it's like my wife and I will never be able to move to Florida because the kids are all here, yeah. and they're probably here to stay. So isn't that interesting? We're so, stuck. Uh, so, th but you think they probably picked that up from your wife, from her musical? I, I think. Well, because I mean, you're, you're, you turned into a performer and an actor. Your parents didn't have that. We were. Uh, I always thought my dad. You know who my dad reminded me of? Because he always wore those hats, like Carl Malden. Okay. And I can remember sitting in the back seat of the car and saying, Dad, how come you're not an actor? You should, you know, just thinking like, my dad should be on. Because you and Carl Malden wear the same yeah. hat. You must he had be this, an actor. He had this huge personality, though. My dad was oh. so funny. My dad, the, la the week that he was dying, and I called all my siblings into town mm -hmm. and said, you know, the doctor says he's going, you know. So we all, and it was like, it went on. they were all here. We were all waiting. And my dad sat up in bed one day and goes, what the hell are you doing here? I'm not dying. And we're like, yeah, you are, Dad. You <laughs> oh, just no. don't know it. But he was so funny. He was so, uh, you know, even, you know, in his years, those uh, last months when you're, you know, sort of winding down and you mm -hmm. know that's going to be it, 
He still had he he was still a character. He was still funny. Oh, I do wanted to get into that whole background stuff because I just wanted to know where you came from before we got back to Mark Twain, and, and <laughs> you know, and it's just fascinating to me. I'm always interested in where people came from and where their what their background was and what their family was like and what their influences were. And w- when you tell me you connected with Ron Swick and Jerry Starr at, at Kenmore West. Well, that explains a lot. Jerry went through a lot with me. Jerry pulled me out of because I would uh, sign his name on hall passes and I got caught. I skipped Jim for 28 weeks straight (laughs) using a pass with his forged signature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, that doesn't even look like my signature. I go, well, it fooled the gym teacher. It looks pretty much like it. The gym teacher, Lucia, he found me backstage in Jerry's room eating lunch. I would always take like two lunches backstage. (laughs) And... uh, but Jerry, I, I remember telling him one time, he goes, well, what, do you want to, what do you want to do? I said, I think I want to be an impressionist. He goes, you don't want to do that. There's only like two or three guys that are really good. I go, no, there's a lot more than that. There's <laughs> yeah. a lot of them. And I actually did you know, a little stand-up comedy and did impressions. Uh, that was one of, my, one of my things that I did when I was uh, waiting tables and all of that, you know, that stuff that you go through when you're a kid. But the other thing, I wanted to be a cartoonist. And he goes, same Holy thing. Cow. He's like, no, you'll never be able, you can't do, geez, you, you know, make that your hobby, you know? Yes. What do you want to do for a job? I think he wanted everybody to be a teacher because all, te- all his kids are teachers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yes. not one of my kids is a weatherman. So there's a great clip now of uh, Brad Pitt. And the guy goes, why are you so handsome? And he goes, because my father's a weatherman. <laughs> my, my, my kids are going around saying that all the time now. It's hilarious. Oh, well, that explains it. <laughs> well, in a way it does, because, you know, you got to have TV looks. you got to be good-looking guy. Although I, that never affected Don Pollock. <laughs> Everybody, if Don you look at uh, pictures of John Beard, me, and oh, half man. a dozen other people that were in town at that time, we all had those... Can I say porno mustaches? Yes. That's what they called them. The, the porn stash. I, did, I didn't know they called them that. And I don't uh, think they called them that then, but in retrospect. They all look, look alike. If you look, yeah. you're like, wait, was that? No, that's John. That's not me. <laughs> I shaved it. When, my wife was out one time. The kids were real little. And I was going to be on vacation for two weeks. And I thought, well, I haven't shaved it in a long time. I'm going to shave it and see if I can grow it back. I just want to see what I look like under there. Because I had a director one time. <laughs> This is this is the backstory. We were doing ladies' night in a Turkish bath at a upstage dinner theater. Mm-hmm. And he goes, you got to shave your mustache. You know? I go, no, it'll be funnier because if I'm trying to hide the mustache, he's like, no, get up there and shave your mustache because we <laughs> lived at the theater then. Yeah. And uh, so I went up and I shaved it. I go, I really, I, I said, I really don't want to shave it. I, I don't look that good without the mustache. And he's, and I came down without the mustache. He goes, you're right. You look ugly. <laughs> you should friend have my, kept it. Friend of mine said, he goes, yeah, you look like Jughead without that mustache. Wow. Yeah, that was bad. <laughs> so anyway, when the kids were little, I thought, I'm going to shave this. I want to see, you know, my wife had never seen me without the mustache. But I shaved only half of it, and I covered up the part that I shaved. And I said, hey, uh, Nick, Ben, come here a minute. I want to show you something. I took it down, and they started crying. Oh. <laughs> They're like, there are like YouTube videos now of people who've shaved their mustache uh, and, and hid it from the baby. And when the baby saw it and they got closer, the baby just starts screaming and just crying like huh? bloody murder. It wouldn't go anywhere near the daddy because that's not daddy. Oh. How did we survive without YouTube? And I, cell phones. I'm trying to think, how did I do stuff? without the internet 
I used to send things to dinner theaters yeah. and photocopy things and mail things out. I'm like, that's why there's so much trash email because it doesn't cost them anything to send this stuff out. We used to have to send out stuff and put stamps on it. I know, and, and then if you take got, it to the post office and weigh it. If and, you got lost and didn't know where you were, you didn't know where you were because you couldn't find yourself on a map. No. How did? Well, I had my triptych from AAA, so I... <laughs> Is that what you did with Mark Twain? Did you send out stuff to, to promote yourself? Yeah, after the showboat, and I, uh, Doug Smith, again, God rest his soul, because he was such a sweetheart. I had so many encounters with him that were just serendipitous, but the one, he put a review in Variety. So I got reviewed in Variety right. as a Buffalo act, mm -hmm. and I was... You know, at that point, 19, 20 years old. So that was huge. So on the basis of the reviews that I got in Buffalo, I sent stuff out. I got jobs in other dinner theaters. I ended up in um, the Cedar Hole Dinner Theater. I was just telling somebody about this the other day, which is on the Potomac between Alexandria, Virginia, and Mount Vernon. Mm. And it was a dump. <laughs> oh, my God. It was a dump. But it sat 80 people i was supposed to do the show for four weeks i ended up there 12 weeks i got reviewed by every reviewer in the washington dc area including radio television newspaper it was all about this 21 year old kid playing mark twain and he's brilliant he's better than hal holbrook <laughs> like why would you even say that um and there was one reviewer that sort of gave me a little sketchy interview uh, sketchy review but only because he was friends with Holbrook oh. and he said I was more cynical my Mark Twain was more cynical and I'm thinking okay whatever but I was doing you know I'm, I didn't even have a wig yet I was spraying my hair oh man it was it, it was nuts so I was doing six or eight shows a week ended up doing 12 weeks that's why I had to drop out of school I was supposed to go back to Geneseo because I finally made it into the theater department in Geneseo made it through a semester and I was going to go back but the show got held over and I said what am I supposed to do I got a contract they're like I said do the show when you stop working as an actor go back to school I'm like oh okay so I did the show, then a, a producer who knew the people that owned the Cedar Knoll, Dick Skanga, who was a producer in New York and owned a theater, came to see my show and he said, uh, I wish you'd come and see my theater sometime. And I said, well, I actually was going to New York because I was having a wig made. I went to Bob Kelly, had a fitting, then I had to go back and pick it up. And I said, I'm going to be in New York, I want to pick up my wig. And uh, he said, well, stop by my theater. It was a little hippodrome, and it was the only dinner theater in New York City. They had a Las Vegas review at night, and you walked in, and it looked like the Buffalo Showboat. It had brass railings. It had flocked wallpaper. It had a nice big stage and dinner theater. They served food, and they had a show. And he said, how would you like to do your show here? And I'm like, in New York City? Yeah, sure. Okay. So I did it. For five weeks, I got real lukewarm reviews. New York <laughs> Times guy came, ripped me to shreds. Really? Yeah. Well, I mean, it was New York City. Yeah. And you could, I mean, how do you get an audience in New York City unless you're reviewed? So the audiences were really thin. I did a show for two people on a Sunday morning one aye, time. Aye, aye. But I had to do like, I want to say like 10 shows the first week I was there. I did 10 shows. And my face was raw. It was like a diaper rash. And I had this routine that I was doing. I put aloe vera on and vitamin E cream because I was still gluing all this rubber on my face to yeah. do the show. From the spirit gum you were getting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I came home with my tail between my legs. And the only job I could get, I'd been a waiter. I'd had waiter, waiter experience. The only job I could get was washing dishes at Arch's Restaurant on Elmwood Avenue. 
I'm washing dishes in March, and I forget exactly if it was 70, I think it was 75, 1975, and I got a letter from Hal Holbrook's attorney saying they're suing me for using Hal Holbrook's material. Oh, my God. And... I go to an attorney. You know what the Your attorney? Your stomach must have just. Flipped. I was out of my mind because yeah. to me he was God. Yeah. I saw him when I was 16 years old. I mean, my friend Marshall was the one who did it first that I saw first. But I went to see Holbrook, and I'm like, I got to do this. I got, I yeah. got to do this show. And so I, I went to my attorney, and he's like, Well, if I were you, I'd try to talk to him. <laughs> so then I called Doug Smith. I said, how do I find where Hal Holbrook's going to be? He hooked me up. And really? I got to the hotel, went to see his show, and then I sent a note to his room. I didn't know what room he was in, but I, I had the... Please give this to Mr. The, Holbrook. Then they sent a note back, and he's like, my attorney said I shouldn't talk to you. So then he came to Buffalo with his three lawyers, and I had a lawyer, one lawyer, and his books are over the table and his glasses are down on his nose. And he was in his 50s at the time. Somebody said, do you want to send the stenographer out and we'll talk off the record first? And I said, sure, we'll talk off the record. Well, I didn't say that. I was like so scared I didn't say anything. Of course. And he was like, hey, Holbrook's sitting across from me pissed at me because I stole his show. Mm. And I hadn't really. Because at that point, after doing the show for four or five years, it was sort of a hybrid of some Holbrook stuff, some things that I had put together, some things that I had added. But there was a lot of his original edited material that was Mark Twain, but it was rearranged or set in a certain way. Well, he, but the concept, okay, but the, the concept was was Mark Twain's own, right? Well, he would do this. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that people think about Mark Twain that they think his Holbrook's theory was that they thought these things because Holbrook had been doing Mark Twain for so long. He never smoked a cigar on stage. He generally did not wear a white suit on stage. In mm -hmm. his later years, when he was doing after dinner speeches, maybe wore a white suit. But when he was on the lecture circuit, he didn't wear a white suit. So, so the whole concept, though, of the one-man show, of the lecture circuit, of that was Mark Twain's. It that was, was it Mark Twain. That you stole that right. from Hal Holbrook. No. You just, and, he had inspired you, for sure. And there were actually people, that if you do enough digging, there were people uh, in Twain's own time that were impersonating Twain and getting paid for performing as Mark Twain. <laughs> if you can believe that, there were. Probably getting paid more than he was. And there was an actor, uh, people always say, uh, is there a recording of him? No, but there's a recording of William Gillette, who was this huge stage actor at the turn of the century. He was the first guy to put these Sherlock Holmes plays together and travel around. They were huge, huge sets, huge casts. He did this for like 30 years, but he also did impressions. And he did an impression of... Mark Twain and Mark Twain he knew Mark Twain he lived next door to Mark Twain grew up and Mark Twain helped pay for his acting education so he did and there's a recording of Gillette doing this Mark Twain impression and that's what a lot of people hear and they think it's Mark Twain but oh. it's not oh, yeah, so uh, we settled out of court I, I Mar Hal Holbrook had had so many people coming up to him saying I want to do your show he had one guy show up at a uh, Mark Twain outfit at the airport one mm -hmm. time mm -hmm. and he just it was like he didn't want to deal with it anymore so I was accessible because I had done it in New York City mm -hmm. and they apparently sent you know these guys to they didn't have a <laughs> they didn't have cell phones then but they were you know they dictated or recorded you know wrote down what I was doing and everything so we uh, made certain agreements we settled out of court 
I didn't have to pay him anything. I agreed to not use the set the exact same way. I agreed not to use his edited material anymore. Because here's what happened. He had been doing the show so long, somebody would come up to him after a show and say, I know this story about Mark Twain. And then he might take that story and put it in his own words and then add it into the show. I've done that myself now over the... Had he originally written the this, this script? I mean, obviously, it's Twain's words. But had he originally, or did, or was there a, a so, writer ascribed to this? No, he did it. He, he did, did it himself. It was his own work. But mm. it, it's such a it's such a evolved. ethereal evolved. thing. There's yeah. not like a set script. There's not like, I always do this here, and I always do this here, I always do this here, and I always do this here. I've seen him maybe three times in 50 years and he never you know he's never done the same show i don't ever do the same show twice there are things that i plug in and plug out i'm i'm working on things right now that i haven't done in a couple of years that i want to do as i have a, a couple of shows coming up now so just quickly then have you i know you've got something coming up at the at the riviera on the it is uh may 14th may it's 14th. exactly 50 years since i did the show at Rosary Hill College, the exact same date, the exact same time, wow. May 14th at 7.30. Now, that's not a coincidence. You booked it that way? You planned Well, it I was trying way? to find a place to do my 50th anniversary show. And, and you know, with COVID, everything got canceled. I had sure. so much stuff that I was going to do during 2020. Then things started to trickle back a little bit. I ended up doing my Dickens show. I think I did only eight performances this year, which is kind of a light year for me. And then... I think the only Twain I did in 2020, I did Hamburg Library, and then everything shut down mm. after that because of COVID. So um, so I was slowly getting back into it, but I wanted to do a 50th anniversary yeah. show. Yeah. So so in what way will it be celebratory of, of 50 <clears throat> years? Anything special? I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll drink I'm still to that. alive, and I'm a hell of a lot closer to actually being 70 years using, old than I was when I started doing the show. <laughs> to using fewer of those lines that you uh, on your face that you taught my kids how to do so many years ago. It's been fun, and it's been interesting, and I have played every conceivable. I haven't done it. On, a, on an airplane, but I've done it on a boat. <laughs> I've uh, done it in the uh, worst, uh, Not it wasn't a bad theater, but the dressing room was like the worst dressing room ever. You know, the old joke about my dressing room, it was a nail in the wall, you know? <laughs> it was like that. There was a, here's the stage, and here's a mirror on the wall. <laughs> That's it. And the table's like this. Yeah. And I got a wig box and this over here. And we didn't even talk about the Dickens show, which has just gotten a, a good friend of mine. I don't know. If, do you know David Lundy? Yeah. He raves about it. It's, well, he it, should. Because <laughs> because I pay him a lot of money for oh, that. No. I, yeah, I knew there was uh, money involved. Yeah. So the Dickens show, what was the inspiration for that? I almost died. <laughs> Truthfully, okay. well, that's all I got the time we have today. Bacteria infection. I was in the hospital. I was out of work for two months. It was in uh, 2007. Do we say 07 or 2007? I think we ought to say 2007. 2007. My news funny. directors kept coming in the hospital and poking their head in the room to see if I was faking. But I was in the hospital for 11 days. Ooh. And I just kept thinking about, you know, I never really had a bucket list. But I always thought, you know, my parents wanted me to do another show. My mother used to say, you should do Abraham Lincoln because you're tall. And I'm like, but Abraham Lincoln wasn't there. I just kept thinking about Twain. Twain is so so funny i sometimes when i haven't done the show for a while i'm out there doing a joke and i'm like 
Oh my God, that is That's funny. That's a funny line. Yeah. That is a funny line. And I almost start laughing. I think the characters change in that way too because I seem to enjoy my own material more. <laughs> but uh, And I could never think of anybody. I wanted to do Albert Hubbard, but then I thought, well, it's a marketing thing outside of Western New York. No one, you know, they're going to hear the word Hubbard and they're going to think it's Dianetics. Oh, uh, I wanted to do Will Rogers and it was like, no, it's already been done. I never did anybody. And I'd always, I loved the uh, idea of doing somebody that was so totally different from me. And I knew that Twain had actually reviewed Dickens when he was here. And Twain did not really particularly like Dickens, and I never really knew why. And then I got this Dickens book, and I started reading his reviews, and everybody thought he was brilliant. I'm like, and Mark Twain thought he was the only one that wasn't brilliant, and he was brilliant, and he was iconic. He mm. was iconic when he came to this country. And Twain was on the lecture circuit, but not in any way like Dickens was. Dickens was playing to 3,000 people a night. Wow. He was acting out the characters yes. because he was this ham actor. He was chewing up the scenery. He was milking it, and people adored it. They talked about the set. They talked about what he was wearing, and there's all this material and all this information. There's actually every single place that he played in this country, Buffalo was one of them, listed. And when I realized that he had played Buffalo, and I said, I want to do this. I want to do him doing The Christmas Carol. Because mm -hmm. that's probably, in my mind, one of the most challenging one, but also you don't have to sell it. Everybody knows what it Absolutely. is. Absolutely. And I thought, how am I going to do this? So I went to Randy Kramer at that time, and I said, Randy, I want to do this show, and da, 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 da. It's not a musical. I don't know if I want to do it as Dickens or just do it as, you know, who's the ball-headed guy from Star Trek that did it? Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart. And he was brilliant, but he didn't do it as Dickens, but he's already an Englishman. And Randy was the one that said, you should do it as Dickens. So then I was like, oh, geez, okay, more makeup, wig, costume. So <laughs> they co-produced it. I did it at Musical Fair the first four years. I did other shows, but I always did it at Musical Fair, and then I've sort of gone off on my own to do it but uh that's how it got started i just wanted to do it the first show i did was for shakespeare and delaware park fundraiser and i'm sitting there putting the makeup on and i'm terrified again it was like i was it was like i was 16 17 years old again <laughs> thinking what the hell am i doing saul elkin is sitting out there all these people do shakespeare and delaware park and i'm gonna go out there and do an english guy little mikey randall is gonna go oh man and i did it and then i thought because i didn't even know because that that show, I didn't know until I did it if it was any good. Because Mark Twain, well, it's you a get single lit. character, Mark Twain. Here, you're playing all. You're playing the character first of all of Charles Dickens, right? And then you're playing all of the characters in, in a Christmas Carol. But as an actor, you're asking yourself, "Is it me? Am I being like so indulgent with myself that I think this is great stuff?" Or, and then you go like, "No, but Dickens did this, and people loved it." So as long as you're true to what he was doing and he did he did all the voices and he had been reading a christmas carol for free to do these fundraisers and it was the same kind of thing he all of a sudden it clicked with him i can make money with this and he did he made a ton of money and that happened for for twain as well they made more money speaking than they did writing books it took twain seven years to to write huckleberry finn mm -hmm. he could go on stage and make a hundred bucks which does not seem like a lot right now Unless you're doing balloon animals, but <laughs> but in those days, a hundred bucks for going up and talking for two hours—that was big money. Do you ever have a director? No, not for not anybody. For watch you and say, even your wife. Does anybody watch you and say, 
uh, you know, when you did this, you, you really should face the audience because when you turn your back, is, is anybody who gives you that sort of feedback? With Twain, <clears throat> never. With Dickens, I'm trying to think. Randy brought in Ellen Horst, who I'd done a show with. Mm -hmm. And there's a picture of me kissing Ellen Horst from one of our shows that my wife hates when I post on Facebook. <laughs> my wife's like, those lips belong to me. And they do. <laughs> She's um, talking about your lips, right? My lips, yeah. Not, not Ellen's. Not Ellen's, no. And then uh, on Tom Owen. So uh, Randy brought th those two guys in, those two characters in to watch me do it the first time. I was, I was in costume and makeup, and they're like, oh, that's so great. And uh, Randy took notes. And I still have the notes that Randy gave okay. me that first time. But other than that, See, no. It's just nice to have somebody. You know, I don't care what you say. It, it's very helpful, no matter how good an actor right. you are, to have just another pair of eyes to say, why do you walk that way? You, you, you realize you're hunched over when you're walking. What? Am I? I didn't realize I was doing that. You just, you can't see yourself. It, you know, right. it, it's, but you did have somebody who would at least give you some feedback here and there. And then it was, uh, I guess this is my 15th year coming up. So I've done almost 200 performances in 15 years of the show. And I know that because I write down in the back, I have what you call like a, a stage prompt copy. He always mm -hmm. used a prompt copy. I can't read it because I have my glasses off. Sure. But I have a pair of glasses sitting on the desk, the desk I built, by the way, which is a replica of his desk. Um, Very cool. I have uh, glasses sitting there in case I get lost. I've never gotten that lost. But in the back of the book, I write down every performance, how many people were there, where it was. Was there a standing ovation? <laughs> <laughs> That's and what lovely. did I think of the show? Yeah. Nah, nah, you know, it was great. But when I tell you, I played every venue. I have played. I played churches. I played uh, when I was doing puppet and magic shows and libraries. I did that for about 15 years. My youngest son was my roadie. Dad, how can you stand those kids? I'd have little toddlers doing somersaults at my feet, and I'd keep doing the show. It didn't bother me. <laughs> oh, man. Well, they're not my kids. I don't nah, care. No. As long as I don't you know, hurt, hurt themselves and I get sued, that would be a problem. That, that would be a problem. <laughs> Anything we should look forward to in this uh, new show coming up at the Riviera? It's me doing Mark Twain. I'm probably going to do a couple pieces that I haven't done in a long time. Nobody's, nobody's seen me do. When I was the Mark Twain for the Huck Finn Jubilee for 10 years, I would go out on Father's Day weekend, and it was like a Woodstock in the desert, mm. and it was bluegrass music, and I was the only non-music act. And I would always want to do totally different stuff every year because I'm thinking, well, it might be the same guys out here every year. So so I, I would work up, uh, instead of doing Grandfather's Old Ram, which is a Mark Twain classic, I would pull out Jumping Frog and do the Jumping Frog. Uh, and the Jumping Frog's hilarious too. It's a very character thing, but you would never want to do both of those in one show. So I think gotcha. I'm going to do Jumping Frog, which I don't think I've done around here a lot. There's some other things I'm working on. That and are I'm you going to continue to do this? Uh, well, I sh I, of course you're going to continue to do it until you can't anymore. But what I mean is, are you pursuing shopping it around more, the Mark Twain stuff? Because you, you've I had no time other to shows. do any other. You've done other theater in town, too, and yeah. you haven't done much, much of that. Well, lately. that's another story. That was my See, I thought when I retired or when I got close to retirement, I think I'm just going to do a bunch of plays, you know. There's so many great theaters in Buffalo. And I think it was in 2014, I did Shakespeare in Delaware Park, New Phoenix Theater, Toy Theater Company, and uh, Jewish Rep. Four shows in a row. And I remembered, I don't like rehearsing. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, that's I a problem, Michael. I don't like rehearsing. Uh -huh. And then it's like, 
once you rehearse, you rehearse for a month, then you got to do the show for a month. <laughs> and Shakespeare is brutal because it's six nights a week for oh, four my. weeks and then six nights a week of your best time of the year, summer. Plus I had Steve Vaughn and uh, Terry. Terry thought she could teach a 60-year-old man how to dance who had never danced. <laughs> I couldn't dance. What was the other thing? Oh, uh, we're all going to fall down here. I'm like... We're going to fall down on the stage. Yeah, you're going to fall down. So six nights a week, I was falling down on the stage. <laughs> and every year, Steve's like, you want to do another show? I got a part for you. And I'm like, nah. that's a great, that's a great venue. And what I like about that venue, and again, cut out all this stuff. But what I loved about Shakespeare in Delaware Park, it seems to me that there's like this constant demographic for all the theaters. Like, there's like a lot of old people. But, no, not, the, but not Shakespeare in Delaware Park. Shakespeare in Delaware Park, you got kids. You right, got, it's parents you there got with their parents. kids. Having, you got young people. It was so cool to stand on that stage and look out and see people like right in the front laying in sleeping bags and just watching you. That is the greatest. And mesmerized by it. it Absolutely. Like, great. It's a great experience. It's a, it's a great it's a experience. It's my favorite thing to do, however. But it's, it's so a huge consuming. Commitment. Oh, yeah, it is so commitment. consuming. Anyway, so you, you're going to continue to pursue. I, I'm going to keep doing uh, the Mark Twain show because that's But around that's the country? Easy. I just did one in uh, Williamsport, Pennsylvania in October. Do you have somebody uh, working for you to help you? No, and that's publish horrible. The, publicize this? Why? Do you want to do that? No. <laughs> <laughs> not I, that it's not a great, I mean, I think it's a great show, it, but it's that's a big that's a big job and to that's do it the yourself, hardest part yeah. yeah yeah so i haven't i put feelers out i sent out five emails the other day because i thought well this is my 50th anniversary i should try to book some other shows mm -hmm. and i got three responses right right away of theaters that want to do it so i'm like hmm should i do it i don't know if i could do it here because i don't want to detract from here yeah. so i'm going to be doing twain at fredonia opera house in november okay. so that's return engagement but i there are these other theaters around the country that this is an easy show to do i, I don't, would think and i would think it would be appealing yeah. no in set, a lot of locales one actor I bring my own podium. All I need is a chair and a table. Mm -hmm. And I had this call from Williamsport last year, and the guy says, are you still doing that Mark Twain thing? I said, yeah, why? He says, I booked you 15 years ago. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, sure. Sure, I'll come back every 15 years. So why not? And uh, so that was Williamsport, PA. Oh, that's great. That's fun. Well, I think we've covered everything here, my friend. I, I mean, we have. I have. Really, I can't thank you enough. It's been It's been fun as I suspected it might be. It, is, it should take a little editing, uh, but uh, all right, so. May 14th. May 14th, Riviera Theater. Tickets on sale now. All right, Michael, well, thank you so much for no, doing thank this. You. Maybe we can do it again real soon. Yes, there's a difference between postponing and cancellation. Postponing means, uh, never mind. How about that Mike Randall, huh? A lot of fun. I, I knew it was going to be fun when I first called him and I said, Hey, buddy, you want to do this? And he said, No, not really. But fortunately for you, I wore him down. No, that's not at all true. I said, You want to do it? He said, Sure. Yeah, we'll have a lot of fun. And we did. So, yes, you knew it was coming. And there it is with the... Oh, listen to that. Ooh, it's like the big church organ. The music with Oh, listen to that. And there's like a slap bass in there. That's fascinating. But you know what? This is all leading up to uh, what's happening this summer for my summer project. I've got another history-related project for you, and I'll tell you more about it as the weeks go on. 
Don't forget that Little Women Now, Donna Hoke's play, runs until May 22nd at the Road Less Traveled Productions Theater, 456 Main Street. Go to roadlesstraveledproductions.org to get your tickets now. I've got another great interview coming up for you next time, and I won't tell you too much about it except the new artistic directors of the Buffalo United Artists will be here to talk about how the heck that happened. I mean, the second longest shot in Kentucky Derby history just won the race, so anything could happen, and did. This will be a very interesting and informative podcast. Here on RLTP's Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano.